ever wondered how taboo, shame, and lack of good sexual education have stripped away elements of pleasure in childbirth and parenting that are essential to loving, intimate relationships? Join me for another episode of Orgasmic Birth Podcast, Pleasure in Pregnancy, Birth, and Parenting, as we break down and heal barriers and open the door to more love and intimacy in birth and life. Have you considered the impact of culture and how your history impacts you and your birthing experience? How patriarchy, misogyny, oppression, and suppression have muted the power of Black womb keepers and their wombs? Hi, I'm Deborah Pascali Bonaro, host of the Orgasmic Birth Podcast. My guest today has so much to share about Black Wombs Unbound. Shawnee Benton Gibson is a co-founder and CEO of Spirit of a Woman, abbreviated SOW, a leadership development institute and organization established in 2002 and designed to educate, elevate, and affect positive and sustainable transformation in the lives of individuals, groups, families, and communities. Under Shani's leadership and vision, SOW offers innovative coaching, counseling workshops, and training experiences to individuals, groups, and organizations seeking to expand their power, purpose, and impact the world. Ms. Benton Gibson is a graduate of New York University's Silver School of Social Work. She's a licensed practitioner with over 28 years of professional experience in the areas of substance abuse prevention, treatment and recovery, adolescent development, individual, family and group counseling, women's health, birth equity, social justice, grief, loss, bereavement and trauma. Shani is a master teacher, trainer, healer, vision coach, performance artist, and an inspirational speaker, officiant, mother, and friend. Her principal teaching and healing tools consist of spiritual counseling, coaching, writing, sacred rituals, psychodrama, sociometry, energy work, and the performing arts and storytelling as mediums to ignite transformation and initiate catharsis. I recently met Shawnee when she was a guest teacher in one of our doula workshops, and myself and everyone was immediately captivated with her stories, wisdom, and opportunities for activism and healing. Then I watched the documentary, and I should say the powerful and important documentary, Aftershock, hearing Shawnee's personal story of the tragic death of her daughter Shimani after childbirth as a Black woman who was not listened to and did not receive the preventable care she deserved. Aftershock touched my heart deeply and reaffirmed why we must have these conversations and we must all speak up for change. Shawnee, your work is a testament to the power to turn pain to purpose and I am beyond honored to welcome you today to our podcast. Welcome. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be here. And I look forward to the juicy conversation we're going to have. Just the prep alone has been so amazing. So I know that it's going to be magnificent. Yes. And, you know, 
we talked a little bit and I'd love for you to share a little bit about your own journey with birth. And you kind of said that opened up an orgasmic life. So can you share what, what was that like? Yes. You know, before I begin with that, I want to share that sometimes trauma, as you just put forward, can be the catalyst for these amazing revelations about life and living, you know, get you connected to your own mortality, you know, because we're talking about death and loss of my daughter. And then also my own journey, like I've had three births. And I also like to tell people that I've released pregnancies. So I've been pregnant more than three times. I just chose not to carry those pregnancies forward. I've never miscarried. But all of those journeys with my womb, all of those journeys of, of discovery, being a young woman, um, experiencing these rites of passage have taught me many, many things about myself as a Black woman, as a womb keeper. As you mentioned, I love that terminology. I use it as well. And as someone who has been blessed with the ability, no longer, but when I was menstruating, like the power of the release of blood and what it means. And I engage in these conversations because so many women of color have been robbed of the power of um, our flowering time, our menstrual flow, and who we are as sexual and reproductive beings and sensual beings on the planet. And so um, giving birth, even though some of my birthing experiences were traumatic during and then also after postpartum, um, it opened up a gateway for me to be in these exquisite conversations about these journeys because they, before I, um, you know, came to them, there were not many spaces where we could have these open dialogues about who we are, especially as Black women or Brown women, about who we are as sexual beings, which includes reproductive health. Thank you so much for framing that. I think it's so important, right? And the fact that these discussions have been left out of conversations for for many, almost all women, but especially, as you say, for Black and Brown women, I I feel it's part of what has increased the trauma in birth. And yep. now we have this opportunity to change and also use pleasure as a healing tool as well. Absolutely. I think it's been taboo to correlate orgasmic flow and energy to birth. Like people would be like, what are you talking about? And in the last two days, <laughs> discovering that as a possibility. Now I haven't had an orgasmic birth but I live an orgasmic life, you know? So I wish that I would have been given that opportunity to recognize that I could utilize my sensual sexual energy to support me in my birthing journey. But I just wasn't taught that. I was coming from a space of trauma when I was pregnant and then also laboring and delivering with all three of my children. Well, maybe not so much my son, but I was this burgeoning person in reference to sexuality, sensuality when my son was born. So I was right at this precipice of opening up new possibilities but I definitely wasn't where I am right now. And I'm not giving birth, but I can support people in getting clear about what the possibilities are for them. You know, I mentioned up front, and these were, you know, your words too. Um, how do you feel the patriarchy, misogyny, oppression, and suppression kind of mutes the power of Black womb keepers in their wombs in general, and certainly as you talk about leading into reproductive health and childbirth? Yes, um, there are so many ways to approach this piece about how we've been muted, um, how we've been oppressed, how we've been suppressed. Um, the first thing that comes up for me, um, because I'm in conversation all the time about reproductive justice and inequities, um, that the commodification, the medicalization of birthing has put us in a box. And so when you're told you must go to the hospital to give birth, 
then that already can put you in a frame of mind that I'm sick, that I need guidance from uh, medical professionals, that I don't know what to do with my body. They're shifting, but when they put you, attach you to wires and they have to monitor you and you have to lay in the bed, it already puts you in the framework that I don't know what I'm doing. My body needs their support. And, and more often than not, it's male's support to move through this sacred process. And we were doing it for eons before men were ever thought about or part of the process, right? So that level of suppression and um, repression has really, really stopped and blocked our flow. When they took birthing out of the hands, the, the sacred womb keepers, the birth workers, the midwives, the granny midwives, then that also stopped and blocked flow. So this is women's work or folks who identify with the feminine. It's our work, feminine, it's our work. And it's definitely something that we're called and appointed to do, to cover. And we've just been duped into aligning with this patriarchal white supremacist framework. And it's killing us literally and figuratively. Yes. Yes. I couldn't agree more. And, you know, you talk about, had you known then what you know now, it would have been different. Understanding that we have this white supremacist, racist, patriarchal view of birth, and we lost so much when we lost our, I like calling them the grand midwives, right? The granny midwives, the, the history of women, as you spoke so well about supporting birth. What would you have brought? What would you have done different in your own experiences? Yes. You know, one of the things that I realized intuitively I got, it wasn't because I was taught, was the need to create sacred space so that women and girls, young women could be prepared for birthing. When I did rites of passage programming, I did that for 10 years with girls between the ages of 12 to 16, black and brown girls. In fact, um, we would celebrate their flowering, their moon time. When we would meet for our, our meetings, we would ask, is anybody experiencing their moon. And, you know, some of the girls would raise their hands and we would celebrate that and honor that and pay homage to them. So just starting really young to big up um, the fact that we have this power in our womb spaces and that blood rights are sacred. They're part of our innate um, ability to heal, to transform, to be intuitive, like all of that. So I would start then. So it doesn't become this thing that you have to quickly study and figure out once you have conceived. Or once you start having sex, which honestly, even when I was sexually active, which I started when I was like 14, 15, I had no clue about how my body worked or what my womb, I didn't use the terminology, of course, womb or any of that. It was like down there and doing really crazy stuff, but that's what I learned, right? And I don't say this as an affront or an attack on the women in my family on both sides, but when I started to menstruate, what I was told was keep my panties up and my skirt down and was told these false things about how I could get pregnant. But that was because those women in my family were suppressed and oppressed and they just shared from their fear. And so I was committed not to perpetuate that with my own daughters and then also with other young girls and women. The other piece that I would do was engage in ritual and ceremony as a form of preparation. Like I've had the blessing of doing these sacred ceremonies to prepare women. We call them blessing ways for women to be prepared for their birthing process, to have hands laid on them, to wash their feet, to celebrate them and um, engage in affirming messages, to bless the womb, the baby. Because I call the womb the first house for all of us. And if you're in a state of crisis and chaos, if you're confused, if you're fearful, then you're injecting that 
into the sacred space for the baby. So I would definitely do the pre-work so that when we go into the birthing space, we're prepared and covered energetically, spiritually, emotionally, and mentally. And then birthing at home, birthing at birthing centers, <laughs> having doulas, having midwives, having folks that look like you. And um, after you give birth, people preparing food and asking you if you're all right and you know what to say, you know, just all of the things, meaning speak the truth. And I like, oh, all is well when it's really not, especially with your mental health. So those, there's a lot of things that I would have done differently and a lot of things that I would teach others than I do now, but I just wish it was different back then. I'm 54, so going to be 55, and I didn't have the privilege of those things, you know? It it really is. And and I like how you say, you know, down there, because also <laughs> I grew up in a time, you know, being a, even a little bit older than you, where these things had more shame and didn't have the celebration. I love the way you express the ceremony, the sacred ceremony, um, the ways people can prepare. And can you talk a little about also about the bridge between sexuality and spirituality. And I've heard you say how the separation has been the catalyst of dis-ease and disharmony. Yes, for sure. So um, we've been taught to compartmentalize. It's weird because the way that we bring new life into the world where most of us, because they're coming up with ways for us not to engage in this way, is through prayerfully intimate, safe, consensual exchange of love and of flesh. And flesh is not a bad thing. It's like how this is our house, our sacred house. And I said, mentioned earlier about living an orgasmic life. Like for me, it's not just about the physical. It's about what sexuality and sensuality and spirituality can provide. Like with my partner, I can co-create possibility. I can I identify as heterosexual. I can merge and co-create energy with a partner that has nothing to do with reproduction, especially not the, at this stage in my life, <laughs> right. right? And just like, we want to manifest a house. We want to generate this amount of money so that we can invest in, you know, whatever it is we want to do. We want to amplify our business and use that sacred exchange to co-create the outcome that we want. We've not been taught that. And so therefore, we engage in all of these exchanges of energy, of flesh, of conversation that is not rooted and grounded in the possibility of manifestation. And I think that's a shame and a waste of energy. It feels good for the moment, but if we really knew what we could do, we would build for a lifetime beyond even our fleshly existence. And we definitely don't know how to do that, but I'm retraining myself and also sharing this with other people so that they can take back their power for sure. Yeah. And I, I love that we can manifest so many things, right? When we're not creating babies, there's so many things in life that we're birthing, that we're manifesting. So as you say, you're using this orgasmic energy in your life. Could I just ask, like, if you look back and say, if you had that view on birth, how would you, or what would you say to people that are pregnant today? How can they capture that and bring that orgasmic energy? to pregnancy, birth, and beyond. Yes. And I'm sure you've seen it because you're a doula who's held space all the time for people. And I'm grateful for that work. But just a birthing experience that is even absent of pain because we're taught that you're going to have all this pain. And, you know, when we watch television shows and stuff, I've seen it for years where women are screaming and, you know, cursing everybody at <laughs> Like everybody's not birthing like that. They're quiet, clear, 
peaceful birthing experiences and birthing experiences, as you know, where women literally have an experience of an orgasm. And so quiet, peaceful, loving, um, aligned, harmonic birthing experiences. I can see it so clearly. Um, With my son, I didn't use this language, but I know that because I had a midwife, my two daughters were there to witness and hold space. One of my daughters, Shimani, who passed away, her boyfriend at the time was present as well and her two best friends. So I had, what was it, seven, my son's dad. I had like seven birthing partners and most of them were young people. So I got, I was given an opportunity for them to see and experience birthing that wasn't like the caricature, especially for a black woman that they've witnessed in cartoons and in movies and you know, it's made out to be a mockery or a joke. So when I think about the possibility of being prepared, music and meditation and focused breathing and, oh my gosh, for me, that's an orgasmic birthing experience where there's joy and happiness and the baby comes into this peaceful environment and the stage is set for them to have a peaceful life. Beautiful. I I could really feel like all the young people around you too. What a beautiful gift for them, but for you too, right? To birth an environment of such love and connection. So you have a term and I have to say in reading it, I was like, I love this and I've never had understood it fully. And I'd love to ask you, you talk about art is of it, art ism, art and activism and How do you see that as a key formula for the restoration of our wombs and the reawakening, as we're talking about, of that innate orgasmic power every person has? Oh, my goodness. So artivism is a term that I did not create. It's out in the world and been talked about a long time. It's not a term that I would use actively, but my behavior around events, workshops, trainings, the rites of passage program was to intuitively use what I loved and what the ancestors downloaded into me, which is art. I'm a a poet. I'm a singer. I'm a composer. I'm an actor. I'm a producer and director. I dance if I have to for events. It's not my most, it's not my strongest gift, but I can uphold my own when it comes to dancing, especially African dance or modern dance. And it's always been in me since I was a kid to incorporate art in my learning space, lyrics and words to songs. They've given me life and they art has saved my life, me playing different parts. So art is a huge part of who I am as an activist and an advocate. Whenever I'm holding space and I do trainings on anti-racism and anti-patriarchy and equity, diversity, and inclusion, I always incorporate art, like folk songs and songs that have messages about liberation and restoration of our power as Black and brown people, and especially bringing in music that is, has been crafted and co-created by women, like Sweet Honey and the Rock, the staple singers. Like there's so many people who are just magnificent at making sure that they merge their artistic gifts with their activism. So I, when I look at major movements, like the civil rights movement, when I think about Live Aid or anything that has been done to really support folks across the globe, art and ritual are part of it. And I'm a ritual artist. So I can sing R&B and do all of that, but I'm not led to that. I'm a folk singer. I usually intuitively allow songs to emerge during sacred time so I can start singing and holding space and creating a container. Um, When I do poetry, it comes from that space as well. So I don't know how folks incorporate, do not incorporate art 
when we're talking about edu education and um, activism and momentum around ma um, uh, major movements to transform our lives. It's just, it's to me, antithetical to the work. Beautifully said. I, I love it. And I have to say, I'm sure myself and many others are saying, we can't wait to get to more of your workshops yes. to experience all the way that you bring the artivism together. And I agree, the arts are just give us such power. So what would you say someone might be listening today that is planning a pregnancy or maybe they're blessed and they're pregnant, especially for Black and Brown women? What would be some advice to them today as they begin that journey? Sure. Well, I would suggest that they watch the Aftershock documentary, not because I'm in it, but just so that they can be knowledgeable about what could possibly happen. And I'm careful about this because some folks will say, I didn't watch the Aftershock documentary because it was about two women who transitioned, my daughter Shimani Kiba Gibson and then Amber Isaac. But I'm like embedded in the story uh, about them and their lives and what happened with them is an opportunity to understand what this historical framework is. You've watched the documentary. So there is a midwife um, who talks about the history of midwifery and how this all started and how we got that snatched from us and how we're in the state that we're in right now and how the medical industrial complex is doing damage. So learn about that. Read about um, other opportunities to give birth in spaces other than hospitals, birthing centers, and then also in the, the comfort of your own home. Find a doula or a doula program in your area. And if it's about resources across the nation, there are free doula services that are being, being offered to mitigate or ameliorate the issue around maternal morbidity and mortality and also infant morbidity and mortality because that's a crisis in the Black and Brown community as well. Um, I would also say do your homework. Like whoever your providers are, research if they have a history of pushing C-sections on birthing people and look at the hospital if they work at a hospital or a clinic that they're associated with because there is information that you can find out about them, about their C-section rates and live birth rates. The other thing that I would say is there's an Earth app that allows you to look at reviews on providers and entities that provide these birthing uh, services. So you can check them out and see what people are saying about them so that you can know whether this is a space that you want to be in or not. So do your due diligence. And the last thing that I will say is get a tribe. It doesn't have to be your family because not sometimes family is not necessarily the healthy choice, you know, but choose like a chosen family that can support you, check on you, make sure that you have you, them come with you to your appointments, be at the birthing experience and follow you for 12 months after you give birth because we're not out of the woods if you're black and brown, you know, after you give birth. And we say that postpartum is forever. So find your tribe that will be with you forever as you raise your children. And it is possible. You just have to do your due diligence. Definitely do your due diligence. And truly for everyone that just heard that, you know, you might want to go back and write all those tips down because exactly. you really put a lot in there. So I hope listen to that twice because so much good wisdom. Is there anything else you'd like to share? And I know that listening are also many doulas, people who have given birth. And, you know, how can we add our voice to bring about change and support creating a, a healthy maternity care system for all? Ashe, thank you for the question because uh, I don't want to leave here without saying a couple of things. So as a doula, as a midwife, as an OBGYN or a birth worker, a nurse, labor and recovery nurse, um, or delivery nurse, and recovery, because recovery is super important to all of it, I encourage you to 
get clear about who you are and why you're in this work and do work around the racist and patriarchal postures that we take because we've been indoctrinated with that. Wherever you went to school, patriarchy and white supremacy is alive. Even if it's a school where it's predominantly people of color, that they're usually systems that are structured behind white systems and the infrastructure that governs them. So that's super important. So look at self and be introspective. I know for me, I always talk about the little white man that lives inside of me. Not woman, not black person, but white man, because I've been trained and developed since I was pre-verbal, like going to daycare and school, to think like a white male. What's important, what's valuable, studying information, regurgitating it, taking tests, and not trusting and tapping into my intuition and my feminine power and ability. And men have that too. We just aren't taught to tap in. So please do that due diligence about yourself, that we're all biased. We all operate from this racist framework and we have to do work all the time. Being anti-racist is a way of life for me. And I invite you to take that on, not just nine to five or when you're at the hospital, but everywhere that you live and breathe and work and co-create. The last thing that I will say too is this quote by uh, Neely Fuller Jr. If you don't understand racism, what it is and how it works, everything that you think you understand will only serve to confuse you. So please do the work and recognize that these systems are designed the way that they're designed and they perpetuate themselves and only we, us, can stop it from going that way. So do the work, please. Yes, thank you so much, Shani. How important, and I, you know, I hear you and really it's a call for us, as you say, every day to do the work and to keep learning and growing. And with that, I know that you offer many opportunities for people to engage with you and to go deeper. Can you talk a bit about some of the things that you offer and where people can connect with you? Sure. So you can find me on social media. I have an IG page. Well, two. One is at Shani the Healer. So that's my personal page, but there's a lot of information about the work that I do. And then I have a foundation along with my family we co-created called the ARIA Foundation, A-R-I-A-H. And you can find us at the ARIA Foundation on IG and also on um, Facebook for both. You can find me, Shawnee Benton Gibson, on Facebook as well. I also want to share that I am one of the leaders and co-producers of the Speak Move Change movement and the National Postpartum Awareness Campaign for Black, Indigenous, People of Color, Birthing People. And we do work annually. So seek us out so you can be part of that national movement and you can contribute to our efforts to make sure that women and birthing people that are persons of color are covered beyond giving birth, beyond six weeks. Once again, postpartum is forever. So find me, Google me, and please watch the Aftershock documentary. We definitely want to make sure that that's being seen by everybody who's a stakeholder in this work across the nation and abroad. Thank you. And all that you said, all your links and your Instagrams and organizations will be in the show notes. So if you're out driving today, don't you don't need to pull over. Just come back and go to the show notes to find all of them. And is there any last, there's so much we talked about, but I know there's so much you bring to birth. Is there anything else you'd like to close with as a thought or maybe a wish for people? Um, I will share what I shared when I was blessed to be a speaker at the 57th annual March on Washington, which was so surreal and such a powerful thing to stand in the same space that Martin Luther King stood in. So in that space, I shared that Black wombs 
create worlds. Black wombs matter, but I also share that black wombs and words create worlds. So watch what you say and watch how you care for black birthing people because you never know who's in the womb and what they're here to create in the world. So thank you so much. Thank you so much, Shani, for your words, your wisdom, your inspiration, and for joining us today. I am incredibly grateful for everyone that's listening. I hope that you'll share what were some of your takeaways, what are the ways that you are going to heed these incredible words of wisdom and integrate them and every day be anti-racist. So thank you so much. Thank you so much, Deborah. And keep doing what you're doing. This is saving lives. I so appreciate you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Orgasmic Birth Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to learn more about pleasure in birth parenting and birth work, visit orgasmicbirth.com forward slash more for my free gifts. And please leave a review about your experience. Reviews help us to reach more people and please subscribe.